belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 7th, 2022 is called Discovering Grace, Become. The speaker is Jennifer Acuff and the location is Mount Sequoia on Fayetteville, Arkansas. So that's what we did. And uh, that was a great privilege, right? Getting to interact with other youth who were also at various points in their spiritual journey, learning from each other, playing awful games that should be banned for injuries um, that always happened and they shouldn't have. Um, uh, But the highlight of the year for me was attending summer camp hosted by a Christian university a couple hours away. That That was the thing to do, right? So for so many reasons, including that I met my future husband there when I was 16, um, these were really valuable weeks in the summer for me. They helped to jumpstart some of my spiritual growth and relationship with Jesus and other Christians in ways that just couldn't quite be replicated in the same way at home. Being pulled out of your environment, being surrounded by people who were also excited and curious, um, it's just not quite the same when you're in kind of your normal day-to-day. Um, but there were some things about this model um, that perhaps weren't conducive to long-term and sustainable growth. Um, Uh, So uh, I remember seeing a lot of teens um, who found Jesus that week and insisted on being baptized in the ornate outdoor water fixture. Uh, You know, it's a big, elaborate Jacob's Ladder statue. Lovely, great place to get baptized. But then I'd never see them at camp again. Which, um, you know, I'd, I'd follow up with their friends and ask, and they'd say, yeah, I haven't seen them in a while. I haven't heard from them in a while, right? And and in my own immature spiritual faith, Uh, I judged that and then just moved on. But I really shouldn't have. I should have understood it a little bit better because I was a summer camp addict. I was a youth group addict. I needed to go every week. I needed to go every year to get my hit, right? Like I was dependent on that. Just because somebody else didn't show up the next summer just shows how potentially shallow those experiences could have been, right? So um, it wasn't until uh, past high school that I experienced that stalled spiritual growth where it was, I couldn't get that quick fix. Um, and I couldn't really understand why I wasn't becoming more excited and passionate and growing in my spiritual journey. Um, but And I just didn't put two and two together. But then I learned about sauerkraut production. And uh, it brought Romans 12 to a new light for me. Um, so uh, it brought in my understanding. And I'm going to read Romans 12, because that's our text this morning, and it's a little bit long, so just hang with me. Um, You might want to pull it up to follow along, but I am just going to read it. Um, So this is leading in from a couple of remarks earlier, which we talked about actually last summer. So you can go back and read the preface to this, but I'll just start at 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That part's really important. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renew your mind, and then you can discern, right? Okay, so here's the formula. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but... Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who mourn and mourn with those who mourn. Rejo sorry, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'm a list maker. I'm also an overachiever. So I read this very literally. Okay, I can check these off. Some better than others, right? That's not the goal, though, right? So one way to read scripture is to see what's there and analyze it. But another thing we can do is see what isn't there what's not listed. These are instructions for transforming and renewing of the mind, right? That's how we lead in, transforming and renewing of the mind. And so we, we assume that that means we're going to transform our mind. We're going to adopt new ways of thinking. We have a new mantra, doctrine, beliefs. Uh, but that's not actually what is said, right? It's actually listed things to do, right? So it's not believe these things, say these things right, get on the same page in your church about this issue, it's like transform your mind by doing these things, okay? So we see this list of action, and this is because the early church really believed that you could live your way into a new kind of thinking. That was the goal. So we've been using fermentation as an illustration uh, for spiritual growth as we spent time reading Mark. So I brought some sauerkraut up here because uh, we gave the pickles away to the, the pregnant lady. She wanted the pickles. So that's fair. That's fair. But, but sauerkraut's my example for this morning anyway, so it's okay. Um, <clears throat> last week, we switched gears a little bit to focus on our Grace Church mantra, which is uh, belong, become, believe. And so I have the opportunity to speak this morning about the direct parallels between um, become and fermentation, because uh, that's something I actually teach a lot about. I'm a, universe, I'm a university professor. I do food microbiology research and teaching, so this is kind of what I do sometimes. So, uh, so, <laughs> so that's why I have the opportunity to be here. But I think a lot of us know a little bit about fermentation, but in a nutshell, it's taking one food product and transforming it into something totally different through the actions of microorganisms. And, um, and it's important. Uh, it's a totally different product, both legally, like legally in the food code. It is a different food product. It follows different rules, different standards, different regulators follow it. Uh, but it's also, you know, characterized by different name, different flavor, taste, everything. Okay, so let's talk about exactly how fermentation creates a new product. So the ingredients of a successful fermentation are nutrients. So you've got to have some kind of food to start right? Uh, and then you have to have a deoxygenated environment. It's got to be anaerobic. Got to pull the oxygen out one way or another. Fermentation doesn't work in the presence of oxygen. A certain time and temperature combination is key. Depends on the microorganisms you're trying to 
get to do their work. So you got to figure that out. And then my favorite part, my favorite ingredient portion uh, is the fermenter. So the microorganism, right? So that's going to be some kind of bacteria or fungi. Okay. So, uh, so we can go through a list of foods, right? Who knew that soy sauce was fermented? Anyway, <laughs> right? That's, that's fermented by a fungi. Okay. Chocolate, fermented product, right? Okay. Uh, wine, Okay, we all knew that one, right, right, right? Yeah, and then how many started a sourdough culture over pandemic? Okay, that one's, that one's got two. It's got yeast and bacteria, okay? That's fun. We're not actually going to talk about that one, <clears throat> although we could, but we're going to talk about sauerkraut because the vegetables are my, my favorite ones, okay? So let's talk about each of those little ingredients. So nutrients, we're going to use sauerkraut as the example. We start with cabbage. The first thing you do is you take that head of cabbage, you wash it, get it clean, uh, and then you cut it up into teeny tiny pieces, slivers, as much as, as small as you can, because this is going to increase the surface area. So when we take a big chunk of something and you cut it up, you're creating more edges. And when you create those extra edges, you actually give access to the bacteria. Otherwise, they can't burrow through just a whole head of cabbage. I mean, it would take really long time, but they, you know, it's not efficient. So you cut it up to increase the surface area. All right. <clears throat> then we're going to add salt. We're going to mix it up in a bag. We macerate it. We get the juices flowing, right? The salt's going to draw the water out of the cabbage leaves, right? And that pulls more nutrients out. So this is what we're using to jumpstart the activity of our bacteria. We're mashing it around, okay? We're, we're literally damaging the leaves, okay? We're, we're really going to town on it. I tell my students to take their anger out on it. We teach this in my class, and everybody gets a bag of cabbage, and they beat it around. And this is good, like, good, uh, good therapy for them, actually. Um, and so this is going to create, you know, mashed up leaves, but also this really salty, liquidy mess that we call the brine. Okay, and the brine's really important. Um, and so now we're going to put the cabbage, we're going to stuff it into a jar, squeeze all the air bubbles out, get them to come out because we don't want the oxygen. We've got to deoxygenate it, so we yank all the air bubbles out. And then we cover it with the brine. So the thing that we created through that damaging, we cover it with the brine to make sure uh, that no oxygen comes in. So we put an airlock on that allows gas to escape because that's something that's going to happen. Gas is going to come out. And then, uh, and then we want to make sure that no oxygen get ba gets back in. So now we have the time and temperature combination. And most fermentations like room temperature-ish, right? Um, but it depends on what you're making. We can do things that are a little bit warmer and a little bit cooler. But for our vegetable fermentations, we're talking about something not too hot, not too cold. Room temperature is great. But time. Time is the thing, right? Time is the thing that's most important on this. So let's talk about the microorganisms that do this. So I'm going to pass these out. Well, I'm not going to pass them out, but someone's going to. Okay, here, here's this one. Why don't you hand it around? I need one, actually. I need one. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I've, I'm passing out a, a graph, because who doesn't like a good graph on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> I just can't help it. I can't help myself, honestly. Okay, so I'm passing around this graph, and keep it on the graph side. There's like a description on the back, but just stay on the graph side right now, and we'll walk through it, okay? So you can like use your finger to like point things out and follow the lines. I'm sorry it's not in color, uh, but just follow along, okay? So we're going to start our fermentation with those raw materials, the cabbage, the salt, and the bacteria that are already there. That's the important thing. How many of you started the sourdough culture, sourdough starter? Did you buy a starter culture? Okay, you got one from somebody, right? You can buy sourdough starter cultures online, right? And that's what we do for, for things like beer and, and wine. We want a very specific flavor every single time, right? You don't want to pick up a 
beverage that you're used to having a certain way and then it doesn't taste the same way. With a vegetable fermentation, we're going to actually just start with whatever's there, whatever came in on it. Okay, we wash it, but we don't get everything off. Okay, you can wash produce and it's not going to be sterile. So we start with something, okay? So the types of bacteria here are three types of lactic acid bacteria and then something we call coliforms. So the, the italicized long names, Leuconostoc mesenteroides, and then up at the top, Lactobacillus plantarum, and then down further, Lactobacillus brevis. Those are our three lactic acid bacteria. You'll find these in yogurt, too. If you have yogurt at home, go look on the back. One of these is an ingredient listed, so you can figure out which one. All right, so what we do, though, is uh, we've got Leuconostoc, which uh, you can see how steep that climb of the arrow or the line is. Okay, it's growing exponentially. That's on our y-axis to the left, is the number of bacteria in that population. It's skyrocketing very quickly before it even gets to day two. It has, it has approached almost peak population levels, okay? It starts off taking up the quickest sugars it can grab. So the sugars that are released in that brine, it snags them and it goes to town, okay? And this is really important. It utilizes the nutrients a lot more rapidly than, um, than the coliforms. And coliforms are a category of bacteria that are indicative of soil and sometimes fecal contamination. Okay, they're not necessarily pathogenic, but if we're gonna find pathogens, they're in this category. So if they're there, that's the category they're in. So the Leuconostoc actually jumpstarts the fermentation and as it does its processing, it competes with the coliforms for the nutrients. And, it, and it, the coliforms are not super competitive. They can't access the, the sugars. But it also releases um, a type of acid, a byproduct, um, because of its metabolic processes. So anyone want to guess what that byproduct is in this lactic acid bacteria? Lactic acid. <laughs> okay, right? So it produces a bunch of lactic acid. When it makes all this lactic acid, it drops the pH, lowers the pH, and, uh, and then the coliforms can't grow because it desires a certain pH above that point, okay? But in the process of doing this, it also outcompetes itself. So it can no longer find the sugars at once. The pH is too low, so it actually passes the baton to our other two lactic acid bacteria, the Lactobacillus plantarum and Brevis, okay? So, so these, this is kind of what we call microbial succession. Okay, so we're passing the baton from one fermenter to the other, and they all do different things, and they all make different byproducts, and so that's what makes it really unique and special, okay? So uh, you can see on the, on the right side y-axis the pH dropping, and then down through the middle is the amount of acid, okay? So it's peaking at 1 to 1.5. A good sauerkraut is going to end up with like a 2% lactic acid and a pH of around 3 to 3.5. Okay, so we could probably test that one and be in that range. Okay, so that allows the coliforms to be eliminated, and it also prevents anything that we don't want from grabbing a hold and spoiling the product, like molds. Okay, and the longer the fermentation goes on, the greater the variety of byproducts are produced. It doesn't just produce lactic acid. We've got propionic acid. We have acetic acid. We have carbon dioxide, a lot of carbon dioxide, actually. Remember the airlock? We have to let gas escape because when bacteria grow, they breathe and they exhale. So they exhale carbon dioxide. We have to let that get out so that we don't have an explosion, which is something I always have to tell my students because they think, I'll go home and ferment something, and they explode things because they, <laughs> they don't leave room for gas to get out. Um, nobody's gotten hurt so far, but one of these years, all right? So these bacteria play off each other. They take turns. They utilize different sugars there's different sugars available and they all do different things with each one um, to get quick acid production and then they have this long 
time that Lactobacillus brevis and plantarum can stay at really high population levels for much longer than Leuconostoc can. They can go forever. They can go for a really long time as long as they have the nutrients there. Okay. So this is the progression of a vegetable fermentation, specifically sauerkraut. Um, so there's the promotion of good bacteria to grow and transform the cabbage into the sauerkraut while also inhibiting the harmful bacteria. Okay, so you can see why fermented foods were used as an illustration for spiritual growth, right? And aside from, you know, the, the word baptismo and all of that, but you can see we've got a progression here. We've got, you know, we've got some spiritual growth that also requires slow and very patient endurance while being mindful of the environment. So when bacterial populations grow, they double in size. They go from one cell to two. They just divide, okay? And so we call this doubling time. And they go from one cell to two cells, two cells to four cells, four cells to eight cells, eight cells to 16, and so on, right? Um, but from one to two and two to four, right, we don't think of that as a lot of cells, right? But they doubled. It's not a lot, relatively speaking, but to them, <laughs> they doubled in size. They procreated, right? Exactly, exactly doubled, all right? So, so um, it doesn't seem like a lot when you think about how the fermentation needs millions of cells and how a million cells will fit on the head of a pin. That's how many will fit on the head of a pin, a million. We need way more than that for a fermentation. But to those first cells, that was a big step for them. And every time they divide, it takes the exact same amount of energy. It doesn't get any easier over time. They just still have to put in the same amount over time. And eventually they double in size, right? So I think it was John in the teaching meeting who brought up a Lensweet quote, which reads, like a kid learning an instrument, in the church we need to expect some rough notes at the beginning. We tend to expect people to be experts at the beginning, but we shouldn't. We need to shape, guide, and intervene, but we also need to be tolerant and expect the bad notes and foibles. It's going to take time as we learn how to play our instruments. Each time those bacteria divide, they run the risk of something going wrong. Sometimes it doesn't go the exact way it's supposed to, right? We know this with the aging process. Our own cells replicate, and then eventually we get old enough and they quit doing exactly what they're supposed to. Same thing, right? But eventually you get enough that you get more growth than you get death, and that's how we have the upward climb of the populations. So time is one of the key ingredients to a fermentation. If we don't give it enough time, we'll never get that exponential growth. There's another process, pickling. It's actually a cheater fermentation, right? We've heard of pickling. It's not the same as fermentation. Similar, but it's not. Um, and, uh, and for the record, pickles are fermented. Don't know why we did this to ourselves, but pickles are fermented, but you can pickle anything, and that's not the same thing. So pickling is a cheater fermentation. The bacteria don't create a new and different product. Bacteria are not involved in this. Instead, you just add the pre-made acidic brine straight to the vegetable, and you just let it sit for a while. There's no microbial activity. There might be some, but it's not doing the fermentation, okay? So with a fermented product, only water and salt are added. Um, but but uh, and, and that's what they use to naturally create the acid and drop the pH. With a pickle, a pickled product, we just add the acid straight up, okay? Um, but we lose all of the additional flavors and the uniqueness, right? You might get the quick product, but... Um, not going to get the incredible flavors. So the pickles that we had on Sunday previously, they, they are fermented. Don't know why we did this with our language, but it's a simple fermentation. It's a good fermentation, but it is actually very simple. So we have one microorganism that's going to do the fermentation for a pickle, and we have one product that's going to be produced, lactic acid. And that's because we kept it whole. Okay? 
Remember we talked about increasing the surface area? So when you keep it whole, you're really only letting one thing take hold of it, and, and, and you're going to get one flavor, exactly one flavor. So, you know, it's not really um, surprising to me when I find out people don't like pickles, but they do like another fermented product. It's like, well, you just don't like overwhelming lactic acid. <laughs> That's fair. I do. I like to go to the edge of death. with, with I want to, like, feel it all the way back there. But I understand some people don't. Right? Well, it's because it's just lactic acid. It's one thing. It's not complex, okay? In fact, um, the access to nutrients being limited means that you get that one byproduct. And if, if you get something else in there that contaminates the pickles, and maybe it finds a way, maybe there's a wound on the pickle, on the cucumber, right? Maybe there's a wound on it, and it is opportunistic, and it finds a way to ferment that little piece. It, one of the byproducts is going to be carbon dioxide, okay? It's one of them. Well, what happens to the pickle? the cucumber. It floats to the top of the vat. These are open fermentations. It floats to the top, and now it's no longer submerged. Now it's exposed to air. Now we have mold growth, and it's spoiled. Okay? So we call those floaters, actually. They have to be skimmed from the top. <laughs> okay? Um, and so, so I think Laura texted me a couple weeks ago and was like, you know, this, she said, it was like a Russian, Russian parable or something, I don't know, but it was, uh, it was like the, the same water that boils the egg also softens the potato. And the, um, the pressure forms a diamond, but bread rises under rest. So we all need different things, right, in our fermentations. Depending on what you're looking for the outcome to be, you have to provide it with the right things, and you have to know what the outcome relatively is that you're looking for. Otherwise, you're going to get floaters. And those attract birds, and then the birds fall in, and then they don't get out, and it's not good. So we want to make sure that we're doing the right fermentation. So with sauerkraut and other vegetable fermentations, nutrient availability is the key starting point. We need to macerate and cut up the vegetables to increase that surface area, right? The liquid that's generated through this process is what we use to keep it anaerobic, and it gives it the flavor. So you have to destroy that original product, product to feed the fermentation for the long haul. We have to do that to make sure that we have enough nutrients available for all 30 days or whatever that time is. Otherwise, it'll stop after five. And so our spiritual uh, fermentation might require some deconstruction and vulnerability if it's going to last the long haul. You can get a quick fix, but the, then you're going to run out, right? You're going to need something more. So that's kind of, I, I like to use this example as kind of our individual spiritual fermentation or formation, whatever, whatever you'd like to say. But as a church, we also kind of follow the same pattern. We've, we do something similarly as we develop and spiritually grow as a church family. So when we talk about becoming at Grace, we don't just talk about our individual growth. We, we talk about as a community. And we can't just grow as individual Christians. This is a community event. You can only get so far on your own. And so to even be baptized officially, someone else has to do it, right? You could dunk yourself, but you're missing, you're missing a you know, special moment with somebody. Um, so Laura Holland said that we grow individually but experience it together in community because it requires action. If you just focus on your own growth and you lose the connection with your church and community, um, you lose a key part of what God intended the kingdom to be. Okay, it's a both-and situation. In our fermentation, we often talk about specific bacterial growth. 
Um, just remember though, when we talk about bacteria growing, we're not talking about literal size. We're talking about them doubling, growing uh, in, in uh, population size, okay? And the cells are dividing and the numbers within the population are increasing. And that's not a statement about church size and number of members you have. Um, but instead, it's a, it's a remark on the interaction between the bacteria and its environment. The bacteria are constantly taking sensors of the environment to see what's around, what's available for my food. Am I, am I making too much acid? Um, can I release some carbon dioxide? Um, and they actually, there's a theory that they actually communicate with one another through quorum sensing. And, uh, and they can actually see, well, what are you doing? And how can I help? Or how can I benefit from that too? And what can I do? I, I don't know that they're selfless. I think they're pretty much like, you know, me, me, me. But you get the idea, okay? They're constantly evaluating their environment so that they can act as a unified population, okay? So the bacteria are largely doing all the same thing because they're genetically replicating from that first cell. They're just doing that over and over, right? So they act in complete sync to one another because they have common goals as part of their identity. So church, when we know who we are and whose we are and whose identity we were made in, then we can see that in each other and we can let the Holy Spirit unify us and transform us and our surroundings in ways that are more purposeful than we can imagine. These bacteria in a fermentation do not know they're becoming a sauerkraut. I wish they did, because it's great. That'd be high achieving, but they don't know that but they know what their goal is in that moment and they're leaving it up to the rest of the unified population and the byproducts to end up with this delicious, crispy sauerkraut, okay? So further I'll add that because these bacteria are doing fermentation, that anaerobic process, they're growing really slowly. That's why it takes 30 days to get a really robust sauerkraut. Without oxygen present, it, it makes it an inefficient energy process, okay? So uh, the metabolic process that other bacteria might use or other molds or anything that is aerobic and uses oxygen, they grow very fast. Have you ever noticed that like one day your bread has like no mold and then the next day it's like covered? <laughs> it's because as soon as they actually get a foothold, they grow like crazy, way faster than our anaerobic bacteria, okay? Um, and so the anaerobic microorganisms are using um, the lack of oxygen to, instead of creating more energy so they can grow quickly, they're creating byproducts. So instead of like furthering their own goals to grow, 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 they're releasing these really complex flavors instead. It's a, it's, it's a one or the other thing, okay? So, um, so as a church, both in terms of grace um, and, oh, well, what I, what I wanna mention is, so if we don't set up our fermentation right, then uh, if it's not anaerobic, we will have bacteria inside that will grow aerobically and they will overcome the slow flavor creating bacteria and they'll create mold on top. And then we have a spoiled product, right? Because we let something get in there that was gonna grow way too quickly. We fed that fermentation instead on accident, okay? So as a church, both in terms of grace and our broader kingdom, Perhaps we should be focused on the complex patient growth and a long and pleasing shelf life rather than a spoiled product, right? This is a little too on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> All right. So the impatience and shortcuts in fermentations, or if you do a quick pickling, 
leads to a less complex final product and it will have a shorter shelf life. So with pickled veg vegetables, that acid is added, but it's a facade. It's not a real fermentation. It was coated in the flavor of the correct first impression. You taste it and you get the lactic acid, right? But that's all it is. It's a first impression. You might have the right flavor of the perfect viewpoints on the surface. Or you might have the flavor of, please stand if you're a first-time visitor so we can greet you, but then never talk to you again. <laughs> right? We've all been there. <laughs> okay. But when it comes down to it, it won't last long, and it's going to have a much shorter shelf life. Those visitors are not coming back. Right? They're just not. It's not surprising to me that I can find people, like I said, who hate pickles, but they like yogurt. There's just as much acid in yogurt, but it's a different kind, and there are different flavors in there. Too much of one flavor is, well, unless you're like me, it's not good, but I really do like the lactic acid. All right, so, so we got to think about how do we have that strong flavor? How do we have that microbial diversity in our church and in our own spiritual lives? It's not just I'm one kind and you're another, right? We can enrich both things in our spiritual individual lives and in our church. So how do we do this? I'm an action item person. I make lists. That's why I like Romans 12, right? But we do have some action items, okay? So Francis of Assisi said, go out and preach the good news and only when necessary use words, right? I really like that one. Romans 12 talks about being transformed in the mind and becoming a living sacrifice. It's not about being saved by works though, okay? It's about transforming your mind and your body to become a living sacrifice. He doesn't list a bunch of beliefs and, and church structure and who does this and who does that. He actually leaves that largely up to, well, you decide, if that's your gift, use it, right? Um, and so the early church, um, you know, recognized that these actions result in the spiritual byproduct of a living sacrifice, right? That's how you become the living sacrifice. It's a byproduct of these actions. The early church was not known by their, was, was known by their compassionate actions. Many people came to the church out of curiosity and need. And I learned this in a book that John gave me, that Laura gave him, called The Patient Ferment, Growth of the Early Church. <laughs> Uh, so people recognized them and they said, look how they love each other, not look what they said, look what they wrote, right? It's look how they love each other, right? Evangelism as we know it today is not at all what the early church was doing. It was evangelism, but it's not what we identify as that. They weren't trying to get as many people in the door to convert them. In fact, one of the reasons the church grew so slowly was because they went through interviewing um, and it was a three-year, up to a three-year process to become baptized and a member of the church. Um, and so in this process, they would learn scripture and learn how to change their habits. Um, and uh, they would go through catechesis, right? And uh, the early church took several years, and it was very serious. It was a community event. They weren't just going to let anybody in, partially because of safety. Everybody thought they were cults, and they were trying to, trying to figure out what's going on. But it wasn't a vetting process the way we would imagine, right? They wanted to see, they weren't looking for the cream of the crop. They weren't doing a trial run on you. They were engaging with you in community to see if you had the authenticity and the desire to transform yourself in community with them and be transformed in your faith through actions. And that takes a little bit of time, right? Okay. So they did this together. They encouraged each other and then they grew slowly in faith. They honed their habitus, as the book says. 
I argue that the mark of a growing Christian early church was not their increase in numbers, though it did eventually increase by political force <laughs> exponentially. Okay, but that wasn't actually the good growth, right? The good growth was um, the impact on their community, the love for their community by their bold actions of love and sacrifice to one another and to those around them. So when I talk about yogurt and sauerkraut and wine, you all just got that tingling sensation in the back of your mouth, right? I just said that and you felt it in your molars. They all have that really strong acidic flavor. We experience and we remember the byproducts. You're not going to remember the microbial fermentation in succession, right? Although you can keep it if you want to and then maybe you will. But, but we remember what it feels like to taste it, right? We don't remember what was said at our baptism or that thing that converted us necessarily, but we remember how it felt when we came out of the water. We don't remember how someone comforted us, those exact words when we were in a moment of absolute grief or shame or terror, but we remember how it felt when we knew someone loved us. That was the byproduct of their actions. We remember and we will always feel and taste the byproducts. Father Richard Rohr, in one of his daily meditations recently, said that the early Franciscan friars and poor Clares wanted to be gospel practitioners instead of merely word police, inspectors, or museum curators. They saw orthopraxy, which is correct practice, as a necessary parallel and maybe even precedent to verbal orthodoxy, or correct thinking. So they put the correct actions in front of the correct thinking. Again, this isn't a saved by works, get it right every time, but they really leaned into the, you can live your way into a new th kind of thinking. So this is where we can come together, right? Regardless of where we are individually on an issue of any kind, right? And act as a community. I don't have to know if I agree with Teresa Cornett on every issue or any issue for that matter, although I, I might, she's very, very wise. But when she announces that there's something to do with circles or canopy, you can sign me up. I don't have to agree with her to know that's, that's what I need to be doing. That's where I partner with Teresa, 100% of the time. Laura Holland noted that the word patience seems really passive. And so endurance probably captures like what we're trying to do as, as you know, spiritually growing individually and as a church. Converting our way of life to be about our byproducts is going to require some time and endurance. It's slow, but a persistent effort, while hard, is rewarding. So we have to lay the groundwork and set up the environment, right? And, uh, and allow the Lord to direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance, as Second Thessalonians states. So at Grace, we don't believe that love is something we can teach. It's an outcome, a spiritual fermentation byproduct. Our ability to recognize with the help of God and the Holy Spirit the beauty in ourselves and in others, and we treat them and care for them the way that Christ cares for us. That's the byproduct of our spiritual fermentation. And you don't have to have it done, right? You don't have to be at the end. We're releasing acid. We're releasing byproducts the whole time. You don't have to be finished with it. In fact, you can't be. So I'd like to go ahead and invite the worship team and the communion team to come on up and prepare for our next bit. So um, I, I didn't have a good non-alcoholic example of this. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but there's probably one that exists. Okay. But, um, you know, some of these beverages, some of these beers will have like nearly double the ABV. 
percentage. You guys ever notice that? It's like normal is around like four to five, maybe six. And then sometimes you'll find when it's like 12%. Well, what's that? How they do that? Okay, well, um, it's pretty straightforward, right? Uh, they got to the point where the yeast couldn't do it anymore. So they pulled the yeast out. They put new yeast in and more nutrients. And that's how you get an extended fermentation, right? So it it's never too late to add to your fermentation. It's a constant process. We do it all the time in the lab, in the food pro food production industry, right? You can push it to go, but it does require some action. If you don't refresh the yeast and the nutrients, it will just end and won't be what you were looking for. So take this time to write down some thoughts that you might have. Ask yourself what parts of your spiritual growth need to be jump-started in some sustainable ways, right? Don't get the quick hit, <laughs> right? It's not going to last. It's never too late to make adjustments to your fermentation if the flavor is not right. You figure out what needs to change. You enhance the right flavors. Think about the next food item that you're going to eat with your kids that might be fermented. This takes some planning, right? Talk about your spiritual fermentation with them. Ask them about theirs. They might come up with something really wild, and you don't want to miss that. Okay? Might be bread, might be yogurt, maybe not pickles. <laughs> Think in advance how you might talk to them about this. And while we take this communion together, contemplate what being in community here means for our fermentation. We remember Jesus' love and sacrifice for us, and we think about how we can love and serve one another. And this is also an opportunity to give to our church and to our community as a way to love those around us, because we all have something to give and we all have a need. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.